Hello folks, Dr Neil Buttery here. Today's episode is all about the forgotten savoury course, something that's very peculiar to English cookery, and not really the rest of the UK. Although, some of the dishes that became savouries have been nicked from all parts of the UK. It's pretty much disappeared, at least as a course. The only remaining dish, really, that's served at the right time in a meal is cheese and biscuits. But, well, I talk about it a lot more in the episode. It's really delicious, salty, savoury dishes. You'll have heard of many, you'll have tried some. Hopefully I'll inspire you to have a go at making some yourself. I'm doing something a little bit different today. There is no guest. So you've just got me wittering at you for the next 30, 40 minutes or whatever. I'm going to try and mix it up a bit. I'm going to do some cooking spots, have some fun in the kitchen. Now, for some of the spots, there's quite a large amount of background noise. Uh, but I want to do real cooking, not just record some sounds and then witter over them afterwards. No, it's all for reals here on the British Food History Podcast. I hope you like it. Let me know what you think. Oh, before I go, I mentioned the buttery quite a few times, which was my business. I should do an episode on what a buttery is. It's a room in a castle, got nothing to do with butter. It went through several guises, but uh, in the context I was talking about it anyway, uh, it was a restaurant bar that I opened in Levensue, Manchester, with Mr. Brian Mulhern. I'll have to get him on at some point. <laughs> He's trouble, let me tell you, listeners. It was open for a couple of years. Uh, I'm not very good with the years. 2016 to 2018, I think. One last thing. There's lots of recipes mentioned today, so do look at the show notes. I've got links to all my blog posts. Both blogs contain quite a few savoury recipes. They're all in one place. So there they are in the show notes. Okay, time to get on with the actual episode. Okay, so before I carry on, best define what a savoury is. Well, as the point of view of a piece of food, a savoury is pretty easy to define. It's usually quite small, it's strongly flavoured, salty, rich, spicy, the antithesis to the dessert course, basically. And the savoury was born of the ditching of the French service for Russian service. In other words, moving to separate courses with just a single dish in it. Prior to that, people were used to having loads of dishes per course sometimes 16 or even more, all placed on the table and they would have little bits of whatever they fancied. They didn't eat something out of every course, by the way, otherwise they'd have to be wheeled out. The first course had lots of roast dishes with vegetables, maybe some sauces. The second course, well, that was a bit of a mixture of, well, sweet and savoury. So you might get roasts or meat pies, but you might also get sponge sugar nests. Great big wobbly desserts of jelly and flummery. You might get cheesecakes. Or you might get a creme brulee. Something that we would find very odd. Switch from sweet to savoury on in one dish. Anyway, they'd be all taken away. And then brought back at the end for the third course would be dessert. And that would be really sweet things. So candied fruit. That sort of stuff. Comfits. But there'd also be fresh fruit. Especially exotic fruits like mango, pawpaw, pineapple was the really popular one. None of this, by the way, was imported. It had to be grown in England. So there was hothouses, loads of stuff, great expense. But in amongst there would also be cheese and biscuits. So it's something we might recognise as the end of the meal today. The tradition of this French service stretches all the way back to the 11th century with the Norman Conquest. So people were very much used to it. 
So then, when we move from à la française to à la russe, people really didn't know how to order the courses, or indeed how many courses to have. Now remember, this is ostentatious food, so people went, of course, for loads of courses. So they started with soup, then had fish, then a meat course, then a salad course, then probably some game, then a sweet course, then a savoury, and then the dessert. Things switched around. Sometimes the savoury was at the end. Sometimes it was a third to last. It all kind of went all over the place. The difference between a sweet and a dessert, well, it can be quite tricky to ascertain. But the sweet would be actually less sweet. So maybe things like sweet puddings and cheesecakes. And then dessert would be something really sweet. This was great. It really caught on. But eventually it became less ostentatious and the number of courses began to reduce. So by the late 19th century or the beginning of the 20th, the savoury and dessert courses were served simultaneously. And it was expected that the men would have savouries because it would give them a good thirst for the after-dinner drinking and gambling and all that kind of stuff. And the women would go for the sweet and dainty dessert. It was also very gendered. So yeah, there we go. Cheerio French service. Hello Russian. It's still what we do now. It's worth mentioning, by the way, that uh, all this talk of French service, Russian service, did not filter down to the common man or woman. They were not talking into nine courses. All this discussion of whereabouts the fish should go in the courses or where the savoury should go in the courses, you know, was just not relevant to them. So that's how we arrive at the savoury. What kind of dishes make up a savoury? Well, it's going to be things that you will have heard of. So it's things like deviled chicken livers. We're going to be looking at those later on. Kidneys in mustard sauce, angels and devils on horseback, scotch woodcock, we're going to look at that later on too, anchovy toasts, sardines on toast, Welsh rarebit, uh, there's one called locket savoury, which is a bit like a Welsh rarebit, but it's made out of blue cheese and it's got uh, kind of overripe pears in it, that one's a really good one. So yeah, salty, piquant, strongly flavoured, now all of these things that I've mentioned are things that are usually served on toast. But there are plenty of other ones that have kind of, well, gone by the wayside, or at least, well, not gone by the wayside, but not thought of as a savoury these days. So they're things like tartlets or savoury eclairs. Soufflés were extremely popular. Things like smoked haddock and a mustard sauce. That's usually a main course these days. Or stuffed tomatoes. Well, they might be a starter, or they might even be sometimes a garnish. There were things like... Food in aspic, camembert in aspic was a popular one, but that one ended up being kind of put at the start of the course in the 1920s when serving things in aspic became very, very popular. But there's also unusual things, savoury ices, such as parmesan ice cream or tomato sorbets. But yeah, loads and loads and loads. I'm going to be concentrating on the ones on toast because, well, to be honest, they're my favourites. <laughs> Let's have a look at what makes a savoury a savoury in a little bit more detail. Number one, size matters. It's got to be small, two or three bites. Bigger than an hors d'oeuvre, but not like a starter. Remember, this is the end of the meal. Two, salty. Salty cheese, or maybe, maybe Worcester sauce, mushroom ketchup, anything like that. Got to get the thirst up. Got to do some heavy drinking. Three, Heat and spice. Now that could be something like black pepper, but quite often English mustard or chilies 
uh, chili vinegar, uh, chili powder, Tabasco sauce, cayenne pepper, all that kind of stuff is often used with a plum. Number four, strong flavours. Not just hot and spicy, but things like game or mature cheeses and blue cheeses. Offal was used quite a lot because it's got a strong flavour too. Now, five, well, I've put this as an essential, but you know what? I'm in two minds has to include it, which is why I've put it at the end, and I've put creaminess. Now, that's there to usually offset the strong flavours. So it could be cream, it could be butter, but also other bland but satisfying things. Eggs. When I asked Twitter what people liked in their series, a lot of people said herring roe which is both creamy and quite strong flavoured. So that's quite a good one. And there's the white offal, like brain, testicles, sweetbreads, which is the thymus or the pancreas. They're all great in savouries. Bladness is not always bad. Sometimes it is a necessity. Here we go, Scotchwood cock. I have egg yolks, cream, Patum pepperium or gentleman's relish, ground mace, something piquant. I've got some Tabasco here, but you could use some cayenne pepper and a nice big slice of good quality bread. I've got some nice sourdough bread. I'm going to pop it in the toaster. Now I'm going to attempt to use this induction hob, which I haven't quite got used to yet, to be honest. Well, we'll give it a go. I have my two egg yolks in a saucepan. Pour on the cream. Find yourself one of those little magic whisks. Get into each other. So we've got a nice sort of pale coral pink sauce there. They were good eggs. Into this mixture, a pinch of mace, optional. A shake of Tabasco or a pinch of cayenne, optional. A little pinch of salt, not optional, but not very much. So whisk that in. Let's try and turn this thing on. Hey. So we're essentially making a custard here, so I'm going to put on a low heat and I'm going to keep on whisking this. Now things are whisked together, I'm going to swap and use a good old wooden spatula. So this takes a few minutes to do. Don't rush it. Don't put it on a high heat. You're going to end up scrambled eggs. So Scotch Woodcock, let me tell you a little bit about it. It uses gentleman's relish. Now if you can't get hold of that, it's a spiced anchovy paste, you can make some. Uh, I have a recipe for an approximation to it, but I'll put that in the show notes for this episode. You can have a look at that. If you can't get it, or you can't be bothered to make it, you could just mash up some anchovy fillets and some softened butter. It's called Scotch Woodcock because it's a kind of a joke, really. A little bit like Welsh rabbit, which is actually called Welsh rabbit. Woodcock is the one of the most revered game species and the poor old Scottish may not have got that they had to plump for some cured fish and eggs instead so it's that kind of culinary joke the Welsh couldn't afford meat so their Welsh rabbit was cheese they had a lot of cheese anyway this is thickening up nicely whoops so this is essentially a thick savory custard that I'm making if you wanted to you could use a whole egg with 150 mils of cream and make it more like scrambled eggs. But I like this kind of custardy texture to it, but I'm a big custard fan. People turn their nose up at savory custards these days, but you know, they're all right. I'm gonna put it down to a very low heat now. Yes, you don't want scrambled eggs. 
Unless, of course, you do want scrambled eggs. It's quite forgiving. If it, things do scramble a little bit, it's not like a... Oh, shush. If things scramble a little bit, it doesn't really matter. Not like if you're making a sweet custard. So this is nice and thick now. As I move my spoon across it, it leaves a trail on the base of the pan. So that means it's done its stuff. Yeah, your toast is ready. Oh, hot, hot. So, take your gentleman's relish, whether you bought it or made it yourself, and scrape it over your toast. Now the bought stuff is very salty, so be cautious. My recipe for it is nowhere near as salty. This, by the way, is a savoury in itself. All right, so there we go. Then, carefully pour over your custard. You don't want it to go over the edges too much. So really, it looks a little bit, to the untrained eye, like a very pale Welsh rare bit. Now, what usually happens is you shove it under a hot grill to get a bit of a uh, nice, sort of nice browned topping. However, my grill's rubbish, so I'm gonna get out my chef's torch, which is going a little bit over the top. Hey. So, give it a good brown, let it bubble up. You can see why it's important to get the custard right up to the edges so then you don't burn the toast. Matter of seconds, if you're using a chef's torch. And then if you like, you can sprinkle over some parsley, but I think it doesn't really need anything else. I'm just tucking it into this, by the way, folks. One thing I've got to mention, 150 mils of cream, two egg yolks, that's enough for two people for, I would say, a nice lunch with a bit of a dressed salad with it, perhaps. I'd say it would serve four people as a starter and eight to 10 people as a savory, where it's just served on fingers of toast. Anyway, this is the bit now where I do the weird thing and try and think of superlatives about my own cooking. Now, as much as I love just gentleman's relish on toast, what really makes Scotch woodcock excellent isn't just the fact it's got anchovies in it, it's the fact it's got the nice bland custard on top. It's that kind of combination of creaminess, blandness, mixes with the saltiness and the piquancy to make something really, really delicious. And that's the same for, well, all my favorite savories. Welsh rarebit is the same. It's got lots of bland milk in it or beer, but it's combined with, you know, salty cheese and Worcester sauce. Then there's the ultimate favorite, of course, the devil chicken livers or kidneys or whatever you want a devil. It's the ultimate of the hot spicy mixtures. You've got the mustard, you've got the Worcester sauce, you've got the vinegar, and you've got the Tabasco sauce, which again is great on its own, but much better if you had some cream to it. Anyway, I'm just gonna dig into this now. Bye. So we're well into the 20th century, and once we get to the 1940s, 50s, the savour is really on the way. It's clinging on in gentlemen's clubs and those sorts of places, but really, most people have ditched it. One big contributor to that is the influence of French cuisine. The French were never, ever happy with the idea of a savoury course. They didn't take to it. They didn't see the point. What's the point in having something strong and fishy and spicy just before a nice, delicate dessert? They just thought it was just rubbish. And in fact, quite a few British people kind of breathed a sigh of relief because a lot of people didn't actually get it. Savouries didn't disappear, they just moved to different parts of their menu. Maybe they became an hors d'oeuvre. 
or a starter, or just a light meal. During the Second World War, and the years afterwards, when rationing was in full flow, people turned to savouries because they're pretty good at using up things that weren't heavily rationed. Sugar was heavily rationed, so it's a good idea to try and ditch dessert anyway. And savouries loved offal, and offal wasn't rationed like meat was. So what we found were working class families tucking in as a main meal, not as a little course amongst seven, uh, a big plate of savouries. One that became very popular was Scotch woodcock, because it uses salted fish, not rationed, powdered eggs, which weren't rationed. I'm not sure about a savoury custard made with powdered eggs, but I've never had powdered eggs, so I won't cast aspersions until I try them, but I've got a feeling it wasn't good. All right, it's time to look at another classic now, the Welsh rarebit. Now, this was also a staple on the butteries menu. In fact, I put it on, I think, as a special, maybe two or three months into the buttery being opened. It was only open for two years, and it stayed on for the rest of the whole time. So, as I mentioned earlier, it's got a joke name. Rabbit, rarebit, really bean cheese. But, you know, I think it does have a little bit of truth in it, because if you go back far enough, the word meat kind of meant anything substantial, which definitely included cheese in there. So, you know, it's more ironical, perhaps. Toasted and melted cheese savouries are exceedingly plenty. There's flipping dozens of them. But this is the quintessential one, I think. In fact, it predates the savoury course, and it actually used to turn up as a supper dish or as a breakfast dish prior to the 19th century. And if you've never had it, it is delicious. And by the way, it is not just cheese and toast. We used to get people complaining all the time. Six pounds for cheese and toast. It's not cheese and toast. If you've never made it before, it's dead simple. You just make a roux and then make a really thick bechamel sauce with milk or even better, ale. Or you can do a mixture of the two. And then the punchy things, the mustard, the Worcester sauce, black pepper, vinegar. Then there's the cheese, the main ingredient. There's a few things to bear in mind. Most people probably use cheddar or they use carefully. That would be traditional. It would be Welsh anyway. Uh, a mature Lancashire would do well. The important thing is, it's a cheese that will melt. Some Lancashires don't melt, actually. You've got to make sure it's a mature one. That leads me on to my second point. Mature cheeses are so important because there's lots of other strong flavours. If you buy a mild one, you're not going to taste the cheese. There's going to be no point using it. And also, use the best cheese you can afford. It's the star of the show, after all. Using really cheap, big blocks of value cheddar, well, it's just not going to turn out well. When it's time to add the cheese to your mixture, so when everything else has been mixed in, it's all nice and smooth, take the pan off the heat, add in the grated cheese and stir it in. Keep on going, it will eventually melt into the hot roux. Don't have it on the hob. If it comes to a boil, the cheese splits. Here's a little fact you might not know. If cheese gets to a temperature above its own melting point when you're making a sauce, that's when it splits. So it's very important, especially if you've never used the cheese before, to add it off the heat. Give it a good mix, leave it five minutes, mix it up again, and by then everything should be nicely melted and a nice sauce. Give it a little taste, decide if you want to add more mustard or Worcester sauce. But that's it. If you cool it down, it actually turns into a mouldable substance and you can press that onto nice thick dry toast get it under the grill and get it really dark brown. It goes really well on fish, and if you put a poached egg on your Welsh rabbit, it becomes a book rabbit. The recipe for it, of course, 
is in the blog. And of course, the link to it would be in the show notes. Now, the Welsh rarebit became so popular, others try to jump on the rarebit bandwagon. I have found Somerset rarebit, Kentish rarebit, Scotch rarebit. I'm assuming that wasn't invented by the Scots, by the fact it's called Scotch rarebit. And for me, the infamous one is English rarebit. Now, let me find it. Rummage in my books. Here it is. This is in Hannah Glass's The Art of Cookery Made Plain and Easy, 1747. She has to make a Scotch rabbit. She has to make a Welsh rabbit. But to make an English rabbit, right, see if you understand this. I made it once. To make an English rabbit, toast a slice of bread brown on both sides. Fine. Then lay it in a plate before the fire. Pour a glass of red wine over it. Okay. And let it soak the wine up. Then cut some cheese very thin and lay it very thick over the bread. Put it in a tin oven before the fire, like a little box. And it will be toasted and browned presently. Serve it away hot. Now, I'm not a squeamish eater, as I'm sure you all know. But this is one of the few things that had me dry retching in the sink. Ugh, soggy bread. The hot wine, the vapours kind of went straight up your nose. And the cheese wasn't all melting and bubbly. It was all kind of instantly congealing against all the horrible hot wine and soggy bread. It was gross. You think that the uh, woodcock guts and stuff like that are going to be the gross things. But no, it turns out to be the things you don't expect. English rabbit. Now, as I was teaching myself more and more about British food and blogging about it, I found this missing course rather alluring. And when I started up my pop-up restaurant, which... Well, I did it over a space of a few years, really. Uh, I would shovel my furniture upstairs into... <laughs> it seems crazy when I say it now. I used to call my furniture upstairs, brought in tables and chairs, and then did a set menu of five courses. And I stuck to a pretty strict system. Starter, fish course, main course, savoury course, and a dessert. I really want to try and bring the savoury back. So some savouries that I put on there were, of course, Welsh rabbit, but I did it as curd tarts. I was very pleased with myself when I came up with that one. Chicken liver tikka, mushrooms on toast, devil kidneys, that's a bit more familiar, angels and devils on horseback I did for the very first one, and they're one of the most simple things you can do. An angel on horseback is an oyster, a little bit of Tabasco sauce, roll it up in a slice of dry-cured, smoked, streaky bacon, secure it with a little cocktail stick and grill it. You can serve it on a little round bit of toast if you want. Delicious, but even better are the devils on horseback, where you have a prune, take the stone out, and stuff it. Well, I do two things. It depends how enthusiastic I'm feeling on the day. Either a roasted salted almond inside, or a little bit of chicken liver that's been just quickly fried. You roll that in a bit of bacon, pop that under the grill, and serve it alongside it. Absolutely delicious. Then, when the buttery opened... It was, well, it was a very tiny kitchen. Uh, I couldn't do fixed menus and I kind of had to ditch the savoury course because it was just too much of a faff. You know, just having two chefs in that one place was pretty tricky. So we had a very streamlined menu, but we did still do savouries, but we moved them to the starters. 
That brings us to another little cooking spot. What I'm going to look at is devil sauce. Now, deviled foods are what most people think about when they think about savouries. Devil kidneys are probably the most famous of all the, or perhaps infamous, <laughs> of all the savouries. But when the buttery opened, I put deviled chicken livers on there. And they never left the menu the whole time. So they've actually become rather an unwitting uh, signature dish. But I'm very pleased about it because I got some awful on the menu as a signature dish. People turned their noses up and then they thought it delicious. The great thing about devil sauce is you can pretty much devil anything. We deviled, what did we devil? We deviled mushrooms. I've tried deviling eggs, hot deviled eggs. I've even done deviled lamb's stones, testicles. We've tried it with tofu. Oh, with anything. It just works. Oh, paneer. It works with paneer. It's great. Only a few ingredients. And honestly, you'd be wanting to devil everything once you find out how delicious and easy it is. Okay, first things first, let's make the sauce. It's very simple. It's just a question of ratios. I have two tablespoons of English mustard. No other mustard will do, will do. Then we have two tablespoons of good old Worcester sauce. You don't have to use Worcester sauce. You can use any of the vegetarian ones. The Henderson's Relish is one, I think. Actually, you can get some vegan Worcester sauces fairly easily now. Mushroom ketchup works quite well, but it's fairly salty. You might not want to put two parts in. You might just want to put a shade under that. Now going in, one part, one tablespoon in my case, cider vinegar or white wine vinegar. A good grind, black pepper, a shake of Tabasco sauce if you want it. I apologise for the background noises. There's all sorts going on outside. Give it a whisk. And that's ready. Let me talk to you about livers. I've got four livers here, which is enough for two people, I would think. Check your livers for gallbladders. I do not see any here, so we're all right, we're good to go. If you do find a little green gallbladder, just snip it off with some scissors. It's very bitter tasting in there and it would spoil the dish. They cook very quickly, so I'm gonna put my toast on. So good sized knob of butter. If I was gonna say how many grams, 30 grams? Sizzling hot. Now what you're waiting for here is for the butter to stop sizzling. That means all the water's boiled away. As soon as it stops sizzling, there we go, it stops sizzling. In go the livers. Careful, they spit. Fry for two minutes exactly, do not disturb them. The idea here is to get a nice crispy dark brown outside and a just cooked slightly pink inside. Some people like to just sear them so they're very pink in the middle. Well, I'd be rather cautious about this. I find two minutes per side exactly right. Okay, we're going to inspect one now. Oh yes, turnover. Lovely dark brown colour. Two minutes on this side, but once I get into one minute, I'm going to pour in my devil sauce. 
in it goes. Swirl the sauce around, turn them over once and then over again so they get a good coating of sauce. There we go. Now it's time to pour on 150ml of cream. In that goes. Oh, it's suddenly gone quiet. Wonderful. Give that a swirl around. And it just needs to come to a boil now and to thicken a little bit. And that's it. Where's my toast? Oh, Ooh. that vinegar gets you. There's no need to butter the toast. This is rich enough without two on this slice of toast. Two on that slice of toast. If you wanted to, you could add a bit of nice, fresh, grassy parsley on the top. Pour over the sauce. By the way, the sauce left in the pan is really delicious if you dunk bread in it. Chef's treat. Eat it very quickly before the toast goes soggy. You don't want to be dry retching in the sink now. Well, I do hope you've enjoyed this week's episode and that I've inspired you to have a go at making a savoury. They're really very good and very simple and quick to make. Have a look in the show notes for links to all the recipes. I've also added a link to an excellent paper called the English Savoury Course from a journal called uh, Global Food History. It was pointed out to me by Rachel Herman via Twitter and uh, I've used quite a few points uh, when I came to research today's episode. So if you want to know more, then they elaborate on pretty much every point I make, but in a lot more detail. Yeah, sorry if your favourite savoury did not get mentioned, but hey, if you feel very strongly about it, get in contact. Neil at BritishFoodHistory.com is my email. Find me on Twitter, at Neil Buttery, or on Instagram, Dr. Underscore Neil Underscore Buttery. Tell me what I missed. Remember, I want to do a post-bag edition at the end of the series, or maybe the start of the next series, depending on how quickly the floodgates of letters and queries come to me. Next week is the first part of my special report on eels. Yes. It's the podcast event of the year. Next week, part one looks at eel fry. In other words, baby eels, also known as elfers. Where I go fishing with a traditional elver fisherman and try to make a meal out of some of them. Something hardly anyone does anymore. I was very excited to get the opportunity. One last thing before I go. Please don't forget to review and rate, like and subscribe, all that kind of stuff. It's very important. I'd be very, very grateful. Support the podcast. Tell your friends or become a subscriber. Go to the website, BritishFoodHistory.com, support the blog and podcast tab, and there you can subscribe for £3 a month. You'll get access to Easter eggs and other premium content like extra blog posts and recipes. Check it out. Until next time, cheerio.